Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. For more than 2,000 years, he's been doing all that he promised. Today, his church remains an assembly of his saints, providing a place for worship, fellowship, and instruction. In a world that often feels isolated and alone, church remains a place to connect. It's a place to call home. We're so glad you've chosen to connect with the family of believers at Campus Church in the Crown Center at Pensacola Christian College, as together we rejoice in the Lord. Acts chapter 26, if you would take your Bible, join me today. Acts chapter number 26. There are certainly common responses that we have to the everyday greeting and I'm not suggesting or implying that those should be changed. They are part of our culture. They vary from culture to culture, even from region to region, but they are simply responses to that which is expected. I mean, we'll, we'll see someone and sometimes even people we barely know, maybe even people we don't know, we'll look at them and we'll say, hello, how are you? to which we usually offer some kind of basic response. We'll say something like, I'm fine, thank you. And you, I'm good. So we have these expected, understood greetings and responses that are part of our culture. I suspect they've always been a part of culture. Now, some cultures have extended greetings where, where they'll give that formal greeting and then a response, and then you ask about family, you ask about spouse, you ask about children, and, and there is an extended opportunity to go back and forth with that, which is somewhat of a formality. Again, I'm not suggesting that we change the greeting, but there is something that should at least elicit thought when asked the question, how are you? I think at times when, when a person gives a rather abrupt answer to that question, it might be to elicit again some kind of shocking response. Uh, hey, how are you? Do you really want to know? And at that moment, the answer is no. And we just move on. But there is something that we could consider today. And again, let me reiterate, I'm not trying to, to insert some new response to the age-old greeting and reply. The Apostle Paul was incarcerated. And he says, I, I find that I am blessed. The title of our message today is simply that. I am blessed. Your Bibles are open right now to Acts chapter 26. Let's begin reading in verse number one. Acts chapter 26, verse number one. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. Notice verse number two. I think myself happy. King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. In Acts chapter 26, verse number two, Paul said, I think myself happy, 
King Agrippa. Now, the word happy there is an important word. It's the same word that is used elsewhere throughout Scripture. In fact, it is most often translated as the word blessed. So when we're considering what does God really desire for the lives of his children, we have to understand this word and its context and its usage. The Greek word is makarios, makarios. And the word is, again, typically translated as blessed. Paul's saying, I'm happy. I'm maybe another word to further define in our use of the English language today. King, I'm blessed. According to one definition offered from the word, it is to be fully satisfied. It refers to those receiving God's favor regardless of the circumstances. Notice how the word, again, is primarily translated throughout Scripture. John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen me and yet have believed. Uh, Again, if you think about it, the word happy in our context today, the word happy wouldn't really fit. We wouldn't say they were happy because they'd never seen Jesus. But they could say, we are blessed because although we've not seen, we still believe. This is the word that's used in Matthew chapter 5. When we get to that passage of scripture that we refer to as the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 3. Blessed are they that mourn, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are the meek, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Then we would even go on, same word. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 11, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Again, in each of these instances, the word happy in our current cultural context today doesn't really grasp the intent of what it is that I think even the Apostle Paul's trying to say. King Agrippa, I am blessed. In the English language, the history of our word happy goes back to what we say hap or it happened upon. It it gives the idea of good luck or or some temporary fortune. It, it, It is used in the context of it happened Blessedness is, of course, an infinitely higher and better thing than mere circumstantial happiness. The fact of the matter is we wouldn't say that a Christian is to be happy when they're persecuted or when others hate us or when people are speaking evil against us falsely. We're not happy in the hospital. We're not happy in loss. We're not happy in abuse. We're not happy in a myriad of different situations, but we as children of the most high God are most blessed even when poor in spirit or mourning or persecuted or in the most desperate of circumstances. Happiness is a feeling. Blessed is a state, a position, a standing. Campus Church as believers We are blessed. Paul says, I'm blessed, King Agrippa, because I get to answer for myself today. 
And, and then let's take that just a little bit further. And again, I realize I am supposing some things, but I don't think it's a stretch. I think the apostle Paul is saying, King Agrippa, I find myself happy, blessed today because in front of you and all these that are assembled, I get to tell my story. I'm going to articulate to you what the great God of heaven has done on my behalf. And whenever I get to tell my story, I am blessed. So today, let's ask the question, why can the Apostle Paul say, I am blessed? First of all, I would submit to you that it is not because of his circumstances. It is not because of his circumstances. Now, I don't know your circumstances today, but in an assembled crowd this large, and from those that are even at this moment watching, I would submit to you that there is quite a, a wide variety of circumstances that are present, represented here today. And how foolish it would be for someone like me to presume upon your happiness based on your circumstances. I mean, some in this assembly, some that are watching right now, you've just lost loved ones and the pain is very real and very deep. And if someone said, are you happy today? You might look at them with some look of contempt or, or, or some, some bewilderment, like how dare you ask the question? So why is the apostle Paul able to say, I am blessed, not because of his circumstances? In fact, Acts chapter 25, beginning in verse number 23. And on the morrow when Agrippa was come, and Bernice with great pomp, and was entered into the place of hearing with the chief captains and principal men of the city, at Festus's commandment, Paul was brought forth. Well, brought forth from where? From prison. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. Is this what made Paul happy? Is this the circumstances that have brought such joy in his life? Now, again, I get it. So, so please don't be offended by, by the fact that we're going to talk about this. But so often we say something like this. When circumstantially God has done something good on our behalf and we recognize that goodness, we have tasted and seen once again that the Lord is good. We'll say something like this. Uh, hey, how are you doing? I'm so good. And then we say, God did this and this and this. And I'm just telling you, God was good. As if God could be something other than good. Is God good even when we have circumstances that are not? Paul's circumstances are not good. So there are people who have sought, plotted, planned for, laid wait for the Apostle Paul to take his life. Now he's incarcerated. The safest place that he can be right now is in prison. These are not the circumstances of, of what we would call a happy man, but they are the circumstances of a man who is blessed. Why is Paul able to say, I am blessed? Not because of his circumstances. Uh, notice next, not because of his achievements. Not because of his achievements. Do you know, sometimes we say, if I finally get to this place, then I'm going to be happy. 
If I finally get this checked off, I finally reach this level, I finally attain this goal, I finally uh, complete this mission, then I'm going to be happy. I will finally have arrived or achieved. The Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm not blessed because of my achievements. And think about what he has achieved. Acts chapter 26, verses four and five. My manner of life from my youth which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem. No, all the Jews, everybody knows about what I have done. He says, verse number five, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul's not using that in some negative connotation. He's not saying, yeah, I'm sad to say I was a Pharisee. He's not saying that. He's saying, hey, listen, when it comes to our Jewish religion, I attained the highest degree possible. I attained to title Pharisee, which everyone would recognize as like, wow, this guy achieved. Writing to the church at Philippi, Paul said this, Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. Wow. This guy has, as far as his achievements are concerned, this guy has arrived. Is the reason Paul can say, hey, I am so blessed because of his circumstances, we'll clearly know. Is it because he now has has finally achieved and now I am blessed? I'm a happy person. No. So why would we say that the apostle Paul was blessed? Because he could say, very simply, I once was. I once was. The Apostle Paul is about to to unburden his heart regarding his own story. And he's about to do so in front of King Agrippa and this assembled crowd of the most important people in the region. He's going to get to say, let me tell you what I once was and let me tell you who I am today. The Bible says in Acts chapter 26, Verse number nine through 10, he says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Okay, what kind of a guy was this? This man was a radical. This man was a radical. This guy is like, man, wherever you find them, let me know. I'm going after them. He's going after the followers of Christ. Um, You know, when the Bible starts to define terminology, we, we don't use this often today, but if you start to do a little study on 
this way, way. That was a common, uh, the common vernacular for, oh, these, these followers of Jesus Christ. They're following this way. And this way is contrary to our religion. Not really. It was just a fulfillment of their religion. This was now the answer to what they'd been looking for. But now they're holding on to the picture more than they are the person who fills the picture. It's like they're, it's like they're living with just the illustration rather than the reality of. And Paul went about persecuting those that were of the way, these followers of Christ. Paul is, whose name at that time was Saul of Tarsus, he is a radical and he is doing anything and everything he can to root out those followers of this way. Listen to how Paul shared his testimony in part to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 1, beginning in verse 13, who was before, this is who I was, Timothy, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. If you want to talk about radicals, Paul is clearly one of them. His fame among believers had spread far and wide. He calls himself elsewhere the chief of sinners. What did Paul recognize about himself? He couldn't begin or end a letter to the churches without talking about the grace of God. He can't begin to articulate all that he wants to unpack from his heart without saying, oh, the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the grace and peace of God. Peace? A guy who had known no peace whatsoever now is at perfect peace and he can answer, I am blessed. Why? Well, he was a radical, but he is radically changed by Christ. Think about some of those in Scripture that, that can share this I once was story, and the Bible is filled with them. How about this guy, the demoniac of Gadara? When Jesus and his disciples came out of the boat they had been in, they're, they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, and, and this one comes and meets them. Notice how this, this starts to unravel, how it happens. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 4, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. This guy was possessed. This guy is possessed. You say, well, he's radical. Yeah, but let me tell you, that now you've got another kind of a guy. This guy is otherworldly. Today, we might look at a person like this and we'd say, that guy's crazy. Let me tell you, this guy's not just crazy. He's possessed, and he's possessed of a legion. Who are you? I am legion, for we are many. What's this guy's story? What's his, hey, hey, uh, how are you doing? What do you think happens if you had the privilege 
to talk to this guy who we refer to as the demoniac of Gadara. You're talking to him sometime later. And he starts to tell about what Jesus has done for him. And he says, let me tell you, <laughs> you know, I once was. And you say, no, 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 I know what you once were. They come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They're afraid. Now, now he's not plucking the chains asunder. He's, he's not out of his mind. He's not possessed with this legion. He's sitting. He's clothed. He's conversant. He's in his right mind. And now people stand back with this sense of awe and wonder because I know what he once was. He is blessed. When he was coming to the ship, Jesus, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. I want to, Jesus, I want to come with you. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. What a I once was story this guy had. How about, how about another one? How about the Philippian jailer? the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas are thrown into the prison at Philippi, another prison story from the apostle Paul. Acts 16, beginning in verse 23, and when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now consider the Philippian jailer what, what kind of a guy was he? Th this guy becomes suicidal. He's suicidal. He, he's about to take his own life. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had fled. Do you think this man could help but share his story without his voice beginning to tremble? Do you think he could look at his children because we know he's married his wife and all his house, they all come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you think that he can tuck in his children at night without thinking about how close he was, who he once was? He's the guy who helps lay the stripes on the back of those that he throws into the inner prison and then he makes their feet fast in stocks. And these are the ones who say, wait! And before he can fall on his sword, there are some that now come to his rescue and they transform his life through the power of Jesus Christ. Can, can his voice but tremble when someone says, how are you? Oh, <laughs> you know, I, I actually love it when someone asks me that. Let me tell you, I am blessed. How about a, a little man that if you grew up in Sunday school, you grew up singing about? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. What about him? What's his story? 
And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans. And he was rich. (laughs) This guy is rich. He's comfortable. He's powerful. You know what else he was? This man was alone. You know, that's a terrible place to be. Alone. In a world where where everyone assumes you have everything, but the thing that you want the most is beyond your grasp. It's something that you can't hold on to. You can't just manufacture. You can't just buy. He was alone. And when they saw it, they all murmured saying that he was gone to be the guest with a man that is a sinner. Jesus, you're going to spend time with Zacchaeus? We know all about him. Do you know how thrilled Zacchaeus must have been that Jesus says to the guy who's up in the tree trying to get a little glimpse of Jesus. No one will give him space. Hey, hey, let me in. Get out of here, Zacchaeus. So the little man climbs a tree and then Jesus goes and stands at the base of the tree looking up. He says, Zacchaeus, come, come on. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have dinner at your house tonight. How how about another one? She has something ascribed to her name. In fact, when when people would, would ask about her in the village, in the city, in the place, oh, you're looking for, you're looking for Rahab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The harlot. Yeah, you you just go her her house is built into the wall. It's, it's right around the, yeah, that's Rahab the harlot's place. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Who is this lady? This lady was trapped. Her own sin had woven the cords around her life. And she's defined by her activity. Rahab, yeah, 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 the harlot. She had a past. What respectable person would have anything to do with her? Her past is filled with infidelity, with immorality. And talk about her future, what future? Her city is about to be overrun and the inhabitants of the city will be destroyed. Yet her life is completely changed. And and notice to what degree her life has changed. Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse number five, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth And Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, the king. Rahab is the great-grandmother of King David. But, But we have to wait, there's more. If we continued down the genealogical timeline, we would see, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. It's pretty impressive, but but her story doesn't end there. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not 
when she had received the spies with peace. Here, Rahab is mentioned and some of her story is told in the Hebrews 11 great hall of faith. She's given lines here, description. Listen to those whose company she's in. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. Do you think that Rahab could tell her story without tears flooding down her face? She should have died in the battle of Jericho. And then as she lived, she should have been ostracized in Israel because of her past. Yet she was wonderfully remade by God as an instrument of his grace. And Jeremiah says the vessel that was made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. He made another vessel. And how about the Apostle Paul? You know, you think about this. Yeah, he was a radical, but let's just full circle. This man is dangerous. He, he, we recognize by looking back through the lens of grace that he was once a wicked, unhappy, self-centered, godless, and dangerous man. He could say with the others we've looked at today, I once was... And Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Acts 22, 4, Paul's own testimony, and I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women unto death. Paul, how are you? Sometimes we use the expression, and it's fine, better than I deserve. But does that fully encapsulate the thought that the Apostle Paul would share? Let me tell you how I am. I am blessed. And then just to wrap up, because he could say I once was, so can you. If we look in the mirror for a minute, what do we see? We see these men are defiled. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God and... Such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. This is the description the apostle Paul uses for the history of the church at Corinth. It could well be a description of you. Praise God. And such were some of you. You can say, I once was. Paul had been a wicked man whose life is radically transformed. But if we turn our focus from Paul to ourselves, we ask the question, has this happened to you? If not, it can. You too can say, I once was, but now am. Years ago, 
I have mentioned this before. I was hiking and I found a pair of glasses way back on a Colorado trail. And I picked up the glasses. I had to work to get to them. They were stuck down in between a space between two rocks and grabbed the glasses. And, and when I picked up the glasses, you could see that the prescription of the glasses was very strong. And of course, immediately I, I thought, this person had a hard time navigating. If they weren't with someone, they would have had a hard time because the, the strength of the glasses was so pronounced, the prescription very strong. And do you know what I concluded? I, I concluded a couple things. First of all, they would have a hard time seeing where they were going because they, they, they didn't have their glasses to help them navigate where they're going. But you know, one of the wonderful parts about hiking that oftentimes you forget to do in the midst of it. In the middle of hiking, you're, you're typically doing this. You're looking at the next step. And especially if the way gets somewhat dangerous, you're looking at the next step. So your eyes are on the trail. And then every once in a while, you look up and you see in front of you. And then at times you have to remind yourself to turn around and look at where you have come from. It's an important part of hiking. To see that's where I was. Look at how far away that is. Look at how far I've come. Oh, I know there's still more of the journey, but oh, look at from whence I have come. I thought he, he couldn't, not only could he not look forward, he lost the ability to look back. And do you know what it is that allows us to rightly look forward? It is the grace that allows us to say with these all throughout scripture, I once was. And do you know what happens when through eyes of grace, we not only look to where we're going, we pause momentarily and we say, oh God, Lord, I'm not looking back longingly like the children of Israel did for the leeks and the garlic. I'm not looking to go back to Egypt. No man putting his hand to the plow, looking back, desiring to go back. But Lord, when I look back, the only thing I see is a God of grace who allows me to say, I am blessed because I once was. Are you looking through the glasses of grace today? that will allow you to see where you've been and where apart from God you would be and now where you have come to. If so, we should shout with thanksgiving to the Almighty. How are you today? <laughs> Let me tell you, I am blessed. We're glad you joined us for Rejoice in the Lord as we've discovered answers to life's questions from God's Word. For a recording of today's message, I am blessed. Call, write, or go online. Include a gift of $7.50 for a CD or $15 for a DVD. Write us at Rejoice in the Lord, Pensacola, Florida, 32523 or call one 800 223-9727. Messages are also available on iTunes when you search Rejoice TV or find us on YouTube by searching Rejoice in the Lord. Your financial support is vital to keep Rejoice on the air. Your tax-deductible gift enables this viewer-supported ministry to spread the gospel around the world, encouraging Christians and reaching people for Jesus. This is Rejoice in the Lord. 
I'm so thankful for many faithful viewers like you who watch Rejoice in the Lord each week as we study the Word of God and sing His praises. You know, often we hear that the music on Rejoice encourages and inspires. And I'm happy to tell you that we've selected several songs featured over the past 12 months to produce 2023's best musical moments. For your gift of $70 or more to Rejoice, we'll send you the DVD and companion CD of 2023's best musical moments. And your gift will help keep Rejoice in the Lord on the air. Call, write, or go online today and request 2023's best musical moments.